And guys, thank you so much. Can we give the worship team a hand this morning? My goodness. Man, so good and so wonderful, y'all. Thank you for your incredible talent and ability. If you were here, I don't know if you were here, if you came in late, or if we get the uh, live stream going, I don't know. But at the end of that first song, Karen gave it a big whoo. Did y'all hear that? Did y'all see that? I've been teasing her for probably six months that I need to come on stage and just do the whoo and then like walk away. And nobody on the worship team wants me to be anywhere closely associated with them. I can't figure out what that's about. I think that they should know that words can hurt people. Um, That's just what I feel like they need to know. But... I appreciated it, Karen. I love the woo. Very good. Maybe, maybe it's better if you do it after all. I mean, we've been kind of going back and forth. I, I'm beginning to see from a new perspective. So thank you guys. And honestly, worship team, y'all just killing it. Um, thank you so much. And uh, man, I haven't, I haven't mentioned Jesus yet, but my goodness, Jesus just phenomenal on those drums. So good. All right. Well, today we are in our second week of fear less and we kind of are talking about finding peace in a world full of anxiety because the truth is is that we are dealing with a word world full of anxiety and I just want to kind of tell you where we're going today as well as where where we're going to be going in the next couple of weeks so let's go ahead and go to this next slide here today this is what we're dealing with what are we so afraid of the pandemic my job the election the divided nation my own health concerns the health concerns are going on and then that question of just what in the world might be next because it feels like there is constantly something going on in our world that's got us a little uncertain and a little unsettled or maybe even a more than a little bit unsettled. But here's what we're going to talk about today. The truth is, and on our next slide you can see it, we're going to be talking about a new view of a new you today and then next week we'll be talking about fearless parenting And then the week after that, we'll be talking about fearless relationships. And that's not going to be just simply about your uh, marriage relationship. So if you have friends or if you are dealing with parents or whatever it might possibly be, we'll deal with all different types of relationships and how fear plays its role and keeps us from experiencing those things the way that we should and the way that God would have us to. So let's never forget... Uh, I want to just make sure that I mention it, otherwise I will forget. That parenting book that I'm going to be going through is called Parenting. It's by a man named Paul David Tripp, and that's the audible uh, that I got there. That's my own kind of personal screen that I took a click there. Uh, But it's called 14 Gospel Principles That Radically Can Change Your Family. It's about 7 hours and 11 minutes on Audible if you're interested in following along. If you're not an Audible person, go ahead and order that via Amazon. It's not that expensive, but it could be something something that actually literally changes your life. And I mean, goodness knows, if you've had your kids at home and dealing with your kids more than ever before since last March, maybe you realize whatever you're doing might use a little bit of work. So we're going to be talking about fearless parenting over the next six weeks on Zoom and next week in specific uh, as we talk about it. If you're not a big person who does go through all the books and can't make a commitment of that quite yet, there is a podcast And this is the guy, uh, I believe it's got his picture there. That's a look that I can't pull off. I'm going to be just 100% honest. I I can't get a big, bushy, gray mustache, but maybe in a few years. But that's for Parents Foundations of a Godly Home. uh, And it's called uh, the... Uh, let's see, the Paul Tripp podcast is what it's called, and he's got a lot of different things there that if you'd like to follow along. Well, very quickly, I do want to talk about this thing that we talked about last week on this something to learn. And the something to learn is that the New Testament uses the word phobos, the Greek word translated fear in the New Testament, 47 different times. That's not even really counting all the times that the Lord's word describes or attacks the concept of fear, but just the word alone 47 different times should tell you that it's clear that God's worried that we might be apt to be fearful in our world. And from that word phobos, we get the word phobia. And interestingly, If you know anything about phobias and that kind of thing, you know that sometimes that is referring to something that's not really rational, but it's causing extreme fear. So last week, I did a little split screen, a little uh, four-section screen, and I'm going to do that today, and I've actually got all the names, the clinical names of these, and so let's kind of take a look at this next slide. The first one over there in the upper left-hand corner there, 1% of the people in the world 
suffer from something that's called agoraphobia, which strangely is the fear of wide open spaces. Yes. How many of you have ever heard of that before? I don't know what's so fearful about wide open spaces. I mean, maybe because I grew up in Oklahoma, there's a lot of wide open spaces, you know. Um, Maybe that's the problem. I'm not really worried about it. This next one on the right hand, upper right, uh, if you go there, you see that five to 10% of people deal with something that you actually know the clinical name of. Let's say it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, absolutely. You guys actually did hear that one. You knew it. And that one makes perfect sense. I just want you all to know that that makes perfect sense. So much so that I have already instructed my wife that when I die, she needs to cremate me. And it's not because I don't want to pay for a casket, although that's kind of crazy. But I will say this. The thing that I fear more than being dead is waking up in a casket and not being dead. And so I'm like, no, no, put me in the oven. There's no doubt about it. I'm gone. I'll be in the presence of Jesus. I'm good with it. But I am not doing that upper right-hand corner one. No, we're not doing that one. We're not doing it. Okay, so as we go from the top left to the top right, now to the bottom right here, 6.5% of people are afraid of flying, and that is called aerophobia. Yeah, it, it really is. I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to be funny. Maybe I'm being funny and not meaning to, but that's not, that's actually the word. Aerophobia, uh, fear of flying. Anyone in here aerophobic? A couple of you, very good. I'm not afraid of flying. I'm just afraid of crashing. So it's really not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. Um, and then the most, the most clearly correct fear that's not really even a phobia. I mean, let's be honest. 56% of us understand that that's the spawn of Satan on the left-hand bottom left side, right? It, it's actually pronounced Aphidiophobia, which is a fear of snakes. Do any of you in here besides for me have aphidiophobia? Can I see that? I don't pronounce it aphidiophobia. I pronounce it, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, look at that spawn of Satan himself. Kill me. He's going to kill my family. He's going to do everything that I love in a phobia. That's how I pronounce it. It's a little different, but maybe it's the same aphobia that uh, aphidiophobia is. But yes, that's a scary picture. I chose, no, come back. Don't, don't, don't leave just because I'm talking about snakes. Come back. That's funny. If you're on the stream right now, you don't realize how funny that was, but that was funny. All right, let's go to this next slide. Let's check this out. We talked last week about how the win over fear begins as we embrace fear. As strange as that sounds, we talked about how the fear of the Lord and the proper awe and the proper perspective of God and who he is is the very thing that helps us to get over fear. And so as strange as it sounds, the key to overcoming your fear is to embrace the fear of God and grasp that whatever God has planned and whatever you know that he is allowing happening in your life, he's still got control of. That awe, that reverence, that realization of God's sovereignty in our world and in our lives is the thing that helps us to say, even when it's horrible, even when this thing that I was afraid of happened, it's still under God's control. And that fear allows us to let go of all the smaller ones that are doing such a number on us. So let's keep going here. And I did talk with you last week about the Fear Virus book that's written by Ed Young, pastor of Fellowship Church up in Dallas, Texas. Actually, good Houston boy grew up here in Houston with his father's church, Second Baptist Church in, um, here in Houston. But he wrote a book called The Fear Virus. And if you're interested, you can read along. I told you it's a little bit quirky because he does some sound effects and stuff like that. You'll hear if you're listening on the audio version. But he says as something that we all have kind of dealt with and something that we need to be reminded of, especially in a new view of a new you, he talks about fear, the acronym fear being false evidence appearing real. And that is true for all of us, especially you go back a little bit and talk about those phobias, those things that you're afraid of, I'm probably not afraid of. I'm literally not afraid of the, the, I kind of get stoked actually about a plane ride because that takeoff is so much fun. Like I can feel the G's like pushing me back and it feels like I'm in a really good sports car, you know? So I kind of get into it. I'm excited about it. One of the first times that I ever flew, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, doing that because I was so into it. So I'm not fearful of that. And so it doesn't make any sense that you are. 
But yet, if you're not afraid of snakes, but you see that I am deathly afraid of snakes, like, that doesn't make sense to you, but it does to me. And that's the weird thing about fear, that fear, truthfully, is not about the actual fear. It's more about how we relate to it. It's about what our mind is telling us. And we don't always deal with ourselves in a rational way, especially when it comes to fear. So false evidence appearing real attacks us and gets a hold of us. And even some of these common fears that we talked about, these are just common fears. And this goes deep for us because maybe you were let down when you were very young, or maybe you had something that was very important to you and it was taken away from you, or, or maybe you felt rejection on a deep level when you were young. A lot of these things reach all the way back to our past, and they reach back into seeds of our past that we don't even really like to bring out into the open very much. But we talk about fear of failure or uncertainty and change makes us so fearful that we get too protective and grab a hold too tight, and we squeeze those things that we really can't um, you know, control, but we try to do that. Or that fear of rejection, like somehow those people who you don't really care about rejecting you or, or turning their back on you somehow defines who you are, even though God is the one who actually is to define us. And so you go on and on, and you could just list every one of these as a common fear that we have to deal with. And the truth is, is all of these things are true in our lives. We know that these are real things. And here's what I love, and I don't want you to miss this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 has nothing to do with fear if you're just looking at the vocabulary of it. But if you look at what the verse says and what the word of God says, it's very clear that God is speaking to us about fear. And I want you guys to grasp it and see it. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 5. It says, The weapons we fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then I bolded this last part and I want you to see it. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Here's what I'm trying to drive at, this new view of a new you. I want to tell you that some of you are never, ever, ever going to grasp that fear should not have a hold of your life until you get this taken care of. Because the biggest battle that you fight has nothing to do with the fears and the things that you encounter in your world. That is no kind of battlefield that you're afraid of, not nearly so much as the battlefield that's already going on in your own mind. You guys, y'all understand what I'm saying. If y'all understand, please say amen, right? Okay, do y'all, if y'all just don't understand, I can keep going, but I think uh, y'all understand. So give me a good amen, right? So here's the truth. For us, here's what we have to grasp. Our own battlefield. We have to take captive those thoughts that would do us in. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that if you fear rejection, you might push anybody who wants to love you and commit to you away and out of your life. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Or if you feel fear failure, you might never try for something that actually is something you're capable of doing. Something that would literally change your destiny. You will never attempt it because you're afraid to fail more than you are to try. And so that's the thing. This is the battlefield that we have to take thoughts captive. And for most of us, the thing that we actually fear is summed up in this place of a battlefield, and I brought this up here to remind you of how important it is. It's what do you see when you look in this mirror? This is the place that you have to take every thought captive. And let's be very clear, in 2020, talk about giving you opportunities to be fearful, to worry, to be stressed about every little piece and part of your life. It's everywhere around us. All we have to do is just reach out and grab a hold of that thing because it's there every single day, probably every minute of every day, that we can grab that. But if we can't look at ourselves and say, you know what, that child of God in that mirror has God on his or her side. But if you can't realize that you have value and purpose and meaning and worth in God's sight, then you will be blown with every single fear. Fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of what's happening next, fear of the things that are going on in this world that you have no control over. And guess what? You don't, I don't. 
This world will happen without us, but God says, I am in control. Take heart, I've overcome the world. So we got to be very careful. And this is summed up in a book that I actually read and preached a message on a couple of years ago. It's called Crash the Chatterbox by Stephen Furtick. It's a really good book. It talks about these things. And let me just be very clear. I want to go deep on the new view of the new you. I want to talk about how you view you whenever you look into that mirror. And I want to talk about how that could be something that's keeping you from attempting and being the person that God would have you to be. So here's the second something to learn. Second Timothy is believed to be Paul's final letter. And if you can grasp this or understand, this matters because at the end of our life, we're probably going to be thinking back, now what have I done? Who have I influenced? What has my life counted? In what way has it been meaningful or important? And you begin to look back on your life. And as Paul began to look back on his life, one of the most important people that he had in his life was a young preacher that he had left at Ephesus named Timothy who was probably younger than almost everybody that he was pastoring and preaching to. And he was probably feeling a lot of fear and a lot of timidity. That word being timid, right? And so as we talk about Timothy, we see this young man who had tons of gifts. The Bible tells us in this passage that we just read a few moments ago, Paul said, I'm encouraging you to fan into flames those gifts that God has given you. In other words, you are not without competence. You're not without ability. You have competence to do the job. But where you're lacking, Timothy, is the area of confidence, Now, let me just camp here for just a quick minute. In our world, we are paid for our competence and our confidence. If you don't have both of them in good measures, you will probably eventually be fired, be let go, be left by those around you because you're able to do certain things, but because you're not confident enough to do them, put yourself out there, attempt those things, they will probably pull back and say, you know, we can find somebody else who's just as competent and they're actually going to use those gifts that they have. And so we look at Timothy, and as Paul says to him, fan into flames those things that God has put inside of you. Timothy, you're already competent. Let yourself go with the area of confidence and let it bloom and let it come out. Let me just say something very quickly. If you can only have one, have this one. (laughs) Now, I don't want you to be an idiot who has no gifts or no talents, but boy, you're out there and confident. I don't want that. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. But here's the problem. You might have literally 120% of the competence that's needed to do certain things. But if you have 5% of the confidence, guess what you will not do? You will not use any of that competence because you lack the confidence, right? And so for us, here's what we have to do. We have to say, I deal with competence and confidence. And if I'm struggling here, I can learn, I can grow, I can seek help, I can lean into other people to speak into my life. But this is the area where you and I have to get with the Lord who created us. And when we look in that mirror and we see problems or issues or shortcomings or failures, If we can't get beyond the place where we say, I see who this is, and although it's not perfect, I know this is who God has created. And God has given me gifts, and I have to use them for his purposes and his kingdom. Not just for his kingdom, but also for those around me. Also for those who are a part of my life that I want to pour into. It is so beautiful to see the passage of scripture as Paul is nearing the end of his life. He's reaching out to this young man and saying, Timothy... You've already got the gifts. Just don't let the spirit of fear prevent you from putting it into full practice. It is a beautiful lesson for us as we need to fear less. So let's finish that something to learn quickly. Second Timothy is believed to be Paul's final letter. And Paul speaks about the word shame three different times in chapter one. Paul knows that shame affects both our actions and our worldview. In other words, Whenever we look in that mirror and we're ashamed of what we see, then this is where we have our bottleneck. We can't go any further because we don't see God working through us because why would God choose to use that vessel? And truth be told, we have no idea why God chooses to use any of us as his vessels, but yet God still is at work. 
Now, if you're a person who understands the chatterbox idea, those teeth that you saw and that, uh, uh, that kind of that uh, book title, the teeth that just constantly chatter and that constant movement of your mind that is negatively influencing the way that you live. Seth Godin is a business philosopher. He writes books. He's an author. He has a couple of quotes that I want to share with you very quickly to make sure you grasp where I'm coming from. Here are two Seth Godin quotes on one slide. He says, when we allow our thoughts to go unchecked, a steady drip of lies cements the wrong patterns within our minds, building a Berlin wall of bad beliefs. And then he says something incredibly profound. If you only hear one part of this slide, listen here. He says, people don't believe what you tell them. They rarely believe what you show them. They often believe what their friends tell them, but they always believe what they tell themselves. They always believe what they tell themselves. Now, let me ask you a quick question, and I want you guys to participate with me here. How many of you know that your feelings will lie to you? Can you just raise your hand and say amen, right? Your feelings will lie to you, but you know what? When they're your feelings and you're talking to yourself in your own head, you don't actually verbalize them so you don't hear how stupid they sound in the actual light of day. When they're still caught up in here, it makes perfect sense, right? And it just makes sense. And you know what? That's, that's got to be true, right? No, no, no. It's not true. Most of the time, we are not telling ourselves the truth. We're basing it in feelings which we already just admitted to one another. We know lie to us. We go back to that 2 Corinthians passage. This is why Paul said, you and I have to take every single thought captive. And in 2020, listen to me, in 2020, of all years that you need to take your thoughts captive, for some of you, you're a person who wants to control. You're a person who wants to know what's coming and know what's happening next. And this, this year has been horrible for you. Let me just tell you something. For you especially, you need to hear, take every single thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So whenever you hear your mind saying, this thing is about to go off the rails. I mean, Armageddon is a, a minute away. I just know it. It's happening at 1030, you know, whatever. All right. No, just relax. God is still in control. And don't miss this very quickly. Don't miss this. This is something we talked about last week. There's a huge difference in being timely and timeless. If you're constantly talking to yourself and thinking about those things that are going on in the moment right now, but there's no perspective of God's power at work in this world, the timelessness and the truthfulness of God's truth being always at work, then we have a huge fear factor issue. Here is the big idea, and I want to just share it with you, and then we'll talk just a little bit more about it. Here's the big idea. To win over your past, you must both own it and outgrow it. Could you guys say that out loud with me? I mean, I've missed you guys so much. I mean, it's, it's been, I've been preaching to nothing but bare walls. All right, so y'all just remind me that you're out there, okay, very quickly. Can we just read this together? To win over your past, you must both own it and outgrow it. Here's what we must grasp and understand. If we don't talk about it as part of our own past, then we don't own it. If we pretend that it never happened, we don't own it. But I have dealt with you guys. Some of you I could literally call from the audience and ask you to come up here on the stage. And I'm not going to do that, okay? I promise I'm not going to do that. But I could call you up here on the stage and I could say, Tell everyone what has happened to you in the past and what's left a scar. Because we all have scars. We are all broken people. That's why we need Jesus. Amen? That's why we need Jesus. And so when we know that we're broken, we own it. But then we also have outgrown it. I would call some of you up here on the stage and you could say, this is what I dealt with. This is what I had to come through. These are the things that had to happen in my, that have happened in my past. And today they make me the man or the woman that I am. And for some of you out there with somebody up here on the stage telling their story that they own, that they're talking about, you go, really? I would have never known that about them. I would have never guessed. I can't believe that happened to them because they're just so, they're just not that influenced by that thing that happened so long ago in their life. You know why? Because they have owned it and they have what? They've outgrown it. They've 
let the power of God loose in their life so much that what has happened to them no longer owns them. They own it. And they have outgrown it to the place where you and I can barely believe that they've gone through any difficulty because they've passed it up. They seem bigger than that small problem that used to be in their past that for us would be a huge issue or a huge problem. They own it and they outgrow it. That's the power of the big idea here today. And if you are a person who's into memorizing scripture, I'm going to give you three verse, four verses of scripture real quickly, all from Romans 8. And you can hear the own it and the outgrow it. Here it is, Romans 8, chapter 1, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. This is the own it scripture. Therefore, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit gives life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, those things that happen to me do not define me anymore. I can own them because they will not own me. I could go on and talk about some things that have happened in my past. Maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, but I'm not gonna do that because I don't wanna um, influence your own issue, your own struggle, whatever. I'm not trying to minimize or maximize. I'm just trying to put it out there that all of us have a past. It is true. But here's the beautiful thing about Romans 8, 1 and 2. It means that God has set us free and whatever happened to us, happened to us, but it doesn't continue to have to have condemnation and sway over the things that are going on in my life now. I own it. It does not own me. That is a great passage of scripture. And then the second chapter or the second verse at the end of that same chapter of Romans 8, verses 31 and verse 37, this is how we outgrow it. It says this, what then shall we say in response to these difficulties that we face? That's what it's saying. If God is for us, what does it say? Who can be against us? No, in all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors through Jesus Christ, the one who loved us. This is the outgrow at scripture. And if God can raise Jesus from the dead, and I think most of you are still breathing. Can I get an amen if you're still breathing, right? There's six of you here today who are actually alive, all right? All of the teenagers are like, nope, I am not alive. I've not been up on a Sunday morning this early for a while. This is the outgrow at scripture where these things can be a part of your past, but they don't have you in their grips anymore. So let's move very quickly on these things that we're talking about. Fear doesn't need to be the ball and chain that holds you down. And as Paul talks about those things that have to do with shame and how they hold you and how they keep you from moving forward and how you look in the mirror and you hate what you see or who you are, these things can be left behind because the one who has said you are more than conquerors and there's no condemnation. He's come along and snapped the chain free so you and I have no chains holding us any longer. In 2 Timothy, let's talk about that first ashamed and what it stands for. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, this passage of scripture speaks speaks about here. It says, the spirit of God has not made us timid or fearful, but it gives us power and it gives us love and it gives us self-discipline. So we're not ashamed of that testimony about our Lord or me as his prisoner, Paul says, rather instead join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This is so important that you grasp this. This is so valuable. If you want to be able to look in that mirror and see yourself as God sees you, you've got to hear this. When Paul is writing these words, he's writing these words with that ball and chain that we just saw in the previous picture just a moment ago. That is exactly what's happening because Paul's in prison. And you could be ashamed of the fact that you're in prison, but Paul says, no, 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 don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of my chains. He's, he's basically saying this, this next slide here. As you go on, you grasp. Shame causes us to believe that I am a failure, not that I have faced failure. Do you guys understand the difference? Y'all just want to make sure. There's a huge difference because everybody fails, but only you make the decision of whether or not you're going to call yourself a failure or not. It doesn't matter what other people say because there are people that literally thought that the Apostle Paul was a failure as he sat rotting in prison, as he was maybe even weeks or months away from his passing from this life. And yet probably no one has had more impact on the human thought over the last couple of thousand years outside in the human context of the Apostle Paul. A failure? Pfft, not even close. 
He's making an incredible impact and you would not have known it. He's saying, don't be ashamed of me. Don't, don't think just because I'm experiencing a failure now that that makes me a failure because God's purpose is being accomplished. I might have dealt with failure, but I am not a failure. And there's a huge difference. If you don't grasp, shame can tell you that you're a failure because you failed. But yet everyone has. Don't lose sight of that. Quickly, how to not be ashamed. Uh, this second not being ashamed, let's talk about that. This is saying here, don't be ashamed that others believe the hype about others and the worst about themselves. Oh my goodness, I could go on and on about social media right here. But this is true. Don't be ashamed of what you have or what you don't have. Don't be ashamed if you find yourself having that conversation inside about believing the worst of yourself and believing the best and all the hype of everyone else. The truth is, is that shame can cause you to think, whenever I look in the mirror, I'm not a person who actually measures up. That's not what's happening. In chapter, tw- uh, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul's like, no, no, no. That's not it at all. You can tell that I am still having the marks of Jesus and I'm doing the things that he wants me to do. Real quickly, do you guys remember? Do you guys remember this? It's from 1999. Do y'all remember the movie? Let me see your hands, especially during uh, October. Y'all are old, by the way. If you're raising your hand right now, you're old. Congratulations. 1999. On a count of three, you guys tell me the name of this movie. Ready? One, two, three. The Blair Witch Project. I want, I want you guys to do a little thought experiment with me, okay? Okay, the, the thing about this movie is supposedly it was, it was real life. But, of course, now we know it was not. But this is the image that kind of, like, stands out. Because he was running, and the, the camera was shaking, and it's all jerky. And, and he turns around, and they go, I'm so scared right now. They have a flashlight up in their face, you know, like that's what it looks like. I'm so scared right now. And I, okay, I get it. That's cool. Be scared. I get it. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Okay, you can understand running through the woods at night, nothing, it's dark, it's super dark. You could understand, I'm so scared right now, right? Can I ask you to do me a favor? In that thought experiment, change the time from midnight to like 8.30 a.m., all right? Do it in your mind. And you're running through the woods, and you got a flashlight, and you say, I'm so scared right now. Like, you'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Why are you scared? It's 8.30. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful day. You know, like, this funniness about in the moment, it seems to make so much sense, but then the light of day reveals that you have nothing to be afraid of. Do any of you guys remember dealing with the fear when you were a kid? of waking up in the middle of the night and hearing a sound like, you know, and you're like, what is it? It's a witch coming into my window, you know, or, oh my goodness, it's a three-headed dog coming after me. And then you realize it was just a branch on your window, right? And you're like, in the light of day, you're like, I'm an idiot. I can't, I'm not even going to tell you about the time I stayed with my uncle and aunt who had a furnace that made such crazy noises, but trust me, it's a good story. We'll talk about it another time. But you understand how when the light of day reveals the foolishness of it all, the I'm so scared right now, you could see it in their face because that's that one little moment of that one little light that's being thrown on the situation. You throw light on every part of the situation and the fear begins to fizzle and fade and just disappear, doesn't it? This is timely and timeless. We're coming back to that again. The concept of right now, 2020, maybe, maybe making you go, I'm so scared right now. Well, I'm here to tell you that God is in control and the light of his goodness can flood that situation and you don't have to be afraid anymore. And that passage of scripture that I suggested from Psalm 27, chapter one, it said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I be afraid? I mean, my goodness, we have God working on our behalf and on our situation. We don't have to be afraid. So don't miss this very quickly. Don't miss this. You outgrow your fears by faith and facts. 
You outgrow your fears by faith and facts. This is so true. You outgrow them by both. Not just one, not just faith that has no basis in fact, not just fact that's just purely your head knowledge because God wants to be involved. You outgrow your fear by faith and facts together. And I already mentioned Psalm 27.1. But do you remember Dr. Leahy? I mentioned him last week about the fact that most of the things that his people, that he was in a study group that actually the things they feared, 85% of them never actually even happened. And what a, what a fact to be reminded of, that when you and I are afraid, about 85% of the time, it's not actually even going to come to pass. Very quickly, the not ashamed part, this final not ashamed that Paul mentions is this. Don't be ashamed to realize that we will never reach our potential and we will never reach out to lift up other people if we are constantly kind of controlled by the fear. Just, just think about it. Think about that. As you grasp that and understand, if you're not confident enough to know that God has given you talents and gifts, just like he gave to Timothy, but he needs to work on you and give you the confidence to use those in the fullest way possible. If you put both of these things together, you grasp that it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about what God can do through us. And can I tell you something? I want you to listen. If you are constantly controlled by your fears, you will never be the best worker that you want to be. You will never get as far in your career if you are controlled by your fears as you want to go. You'll never make the money that you want to make. You'll never make the impact that you want to make in your kids' lives, in your wife or husband's life, in your extended family. You'll never make the difference in your community if you are constantly controlled by fear because fear keeps you from ever attempting things because you're afraid that any kind of failure makes you a failure. It makes you a person who's so worried about you that you can't look outward and actually do something for someone else. There's no, no accident that we're ending here. This idea of Paul pouring into the life of Timothy. He's pouring himself out and saying, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. I'm about to be given away to God and all that he has in his plan. But here's what I want you to do. Keep running that race. Keep striving, keep trying, keep attempting more than you've ever thought that you could do because God is at work. It's fear is overcome by faith and facts. And just don't be ashamed. Don't be paralyzed by that fear. The new view of the new you comes where you begin to take every thought captive and you begin to live your life in a way that pleases God above all things. Here's the big question that I have for you as we begin to wrap this up. What area of your life is already controlled by your fear that you won't own or outgrow? If you don't own it, and you don't outgrow it, it will constantly control not only your life, but those li uh, the lives of those that you love the most. It will affect their life as well. And man, I tell you what, <laughs> I've got a couple of little things about my life and my body and all that stuff that I don't want to pass on to my kids. <laughs> Right? I mean, like, I've got issues or problems and, you know, hang ups and hold ups and all that stuff that I don't want them to have to deal with all of their life because they got it from me. Can you imagine the ability that God has given us, the competence and the confidence to overcome, own, and outgrow those problems that we have allowed to control us? But instead, because of fear, we are shackled, and then we turn around and we hand it to the people that we love the most and say, here, you deal with this too, all of your life. Man, I don't know about you, but that scares me to death in the right way. It frightens me that I might give to my kids the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, so they never even try or attempt to do anything wor worthwhile in this world for Christ or for others. I mean, I don't want that. I have to do something different. I have to own it, and I have to outgrow it. Here's how we apply this message. We ask ourselves, what fear is controlling me right now? What is the one fear that has its grip on me above all others? And here is the step to take. Take one step to own it or take one step to outgrow it this week. Do it. Just decide and determine, you know what? I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to mention it. I'm going to say it because I'm going to own it rather than it owning me. And if we do that and allow that to happen... 
That is so important, and, and we begin to outgrow it when we own it. Or maybe you would say, you know what, it's been long enough. I'm going to own it to a friend or a close person in my life, and I'm going to begin to outgrow it, and this is how I'm going to do it. So important that we grasp. All right, very quickly, I want to talk about how we overcome fear by truth and the facts. And I want to just talk about that in a very, very real way of what's happening in our world. Now, I want you guys to understand, I mean, I literally brought my mask and everything. This is not a political statement. But I want you guys to grasp the difference between fact and fear and what you think and assume and how it can play in your mind. So if you go online, you can go to TMC, TexasMedicalCenter.org, and it lets you see what's going on in the med center and all of the different things happening in the med center combined because it is truly a combined group of hospitals. But I want us to go to this very quickly. And if you see here, TexasMedicalCenter.org, or .edu, pardon me, you look there, it's October 8th. And then over on the far right-hand side, it says total ICU beds that are occupied. There's 91% of the beds are occupied in the Texas Medical Center right now. So immediately, your mind goes, well, of course, we're in a global pandemic. COVID, boom, right? You got the answer. And so now you know. And so you go to this next slide and you listen on the news or something like that. It says 91% of ICU beds in the Texas Medical Center are full right now. Is that true? Yes, it's true. Why? Because, I mean, we're in a pandemic, of course. But you know what the truth of the matter is? Is that that's not why the beds are full. This is overcoming fear with fact. You guys understand what I'm saying? Go to this next slide very quickly. If you look real closely, it says ICU beds occupied by COVID-19 patients, a percentage. And then it says that percentage down at the very bottom. And I even expanded it out in this magnifier. So let's go to this next slide. And you see the ICU beds occupied by COVID-19 patients. And then it shows you the percentage, 11%. Well, Brandy, what are you saying? I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement at all. But I want you to understand, they put a pause on every single elective surgery whenever the pandemic hit. For months and months, they did not allow elective surgeries to happen. Some of those elective surgeries require ICU beds. And so if you see the words, 91% of the ICU beds are taken up. You're like, see, the pandemic still got those grips on all of us. Hey, fear can grab a hold of you and make you afraid. But fact shows the light of day, the truth. And I want you guys to understand, hey, I'm wearing my mask. I think it's going to help. And that's why we're requiring everybody when you come to wear a mask and as you leave to wear a mask. I mean, that's important. We're trying to protect one another and give each other a place that you can safely worship. This is important. But it's also important to grasp and understand that 91% of the beds are taken up but 11% of those beds are taken up by COVID patients. It's not the same as what your mind took off and ran with, right? You guys understand what I'm saying? It's important that we grasp that you overcome fear by facts and most importantly, faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He dissipates the darkness of fear and he helps me to understand whom shall I fear? Of whom am I going to be afraid? God has got me. He's got you. Don't lose sight of the fact that he is the one who's in control, working in your life, making it happen, and doing his work and purposes. So when you look in that mirror, nothing in the world to be ashamed about because you're outgrowing and you're owning those things that would have kept you as a prisoner, and instead you're growing towards what God has for you in the future. Heavenly Father, please work in our lives and our hearts. Help us never ever to be people who are controlled by fear in our life, but instead that we would be people who are controlled by the Holy Spirit and your goodness. Father, work in our hearts, we pray. And Lord, may you receive glory and honor and praise for the way that we have lived our lives. Dissipate the fears of those who are struggling right now, I pray, and help them to know peace as never before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
God encourages us to uh, really take every thought that we have, take it captive so that we go in obedience of him and give it to him. You think about everything that we see, everything that we hear, everything that we feel, everything in our lives goes right here. And so we have an opportunity to slow down and just process and think and ask ourselves for every single thought that goes in our mind. Are we giving it to God? Are we taking it captive and saying, no, that's not how I need to think. That's not how I need to see. And are we giving it to him and allowing it to obey him and what his word is? And so I just encourage you as you listen to the things, the many things we hear in each day around God, whether it's the service we just heard, whether it's music that we hear, whether it's things that we see on TV, we should ask ourselves all the time and be intentional about asking ourselves, is this what God expects us to do? Is this, is this following the will of God? And when it's not, let's bring it into the will of God. Let's give it to him so that he, his will can be done. Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for this great service. I want to thank you for allowing us to slow down so that we can think better and to be able to filter our mind, Lord, Father, in a way where we could ask ourselves, is this in your will? Help us see it, Lord, Father. Help us slow down to just think about you in our walk in life. Lord, Father, give us the opportunity to just continue to to put you first put you the center of every thought every action that we have we ask lord father for repentance for the sins that we've committed for the thoughts that we've had that has not followed your will we ask you lord father to give us lord father grace so that we may lord father be able to seek you more we ask you lord to allow this message today to transform us Allow us, Lord Father, to be able to continue to grow in your will. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, you just heard God's word. Now let's go live it. Thank you.